Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. <laughs> Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Looking for a fun way to win up to 25 times your money this basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/get100 and use code get100. That's code get100 at prizepicks.com/get100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. 
Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Rank Squad and welcome to Ranks FC. It's your favourite football podcast back for another week. And today we're going to be talking about the job Maurizio Pochettino has on his hands at Chelsea. You might remember we did a podcast very similar to this when Antonio Conte went in at Tottenham. We gave him five things in his in-tray that he needed to sort out. Antonio Conte did not sort any of the things out. <laughs> Hopefully, Mauricio Pochettino will have a, a better go at actually having a listen and finding out. We're actually also going to be joined by a, a Chelsea expert in Liam Toomey of The Athletic and the Straight Out of Cobham podcast, an old friend of this parish. He's going to be back talking with us in part two about all of the work that Pochettino has to do. And by God, there's a lot of it. My name is Jack Collins and I'll be your host today. And joining me is Mr. Sam Tyler, Rank God. How are you doing, mate? Hello, mate. Yes, very well. Uh, it's funny you mentioned the the Conte podcast. I remember setting that one up for you guys uh, with Nathan A. Clark, who was great. And the first thing Nathan said was, right, basically, we need to have an exit plan in place for when Conte inevitably explodes. And we need to deal with that gracefully. And based on that press conference he delivered at Southampton, I'd say he didn't really hit the mark. So <laughs> let's see if we can get a better success rate with this to-do list for Pochettino at Chelsea. Yeah, one of the least graceful exits ever, I would actually probably argue. Yeah. Uh, and of course, our transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. How you doing, mate? Hello, mate. Yeah, very good. Very good. Uh, both on Stag Do's, weren't we, this weekend? So we've yes. uh, had a little recovery time now. I feel a bit more human than I did recording on the Patreon yesterday. Yeah, I've had three in three weeks. It's been. It's I, been I a, don't know a busy how. Yeah, I mean, you're younger than me. Maybe that's the only difference here. I I would not be doing that anymore. I never. I'm, I don't know if I want to go on a stag do ever again. To be honest. Well, we'll <laughs> see. We'll see. I, I, look, I'll be talking about it in part three. Well, the oh. gibberish is things I've learned from these stag. Don't go on stag do. Yeah, so that's uh, <laughs> that. That will come as well. But before we get into all of that, let's start with things we love, shall we? And DJ, do you want to kick us off? Lads, Barcelona won La Liga. I mean, we got to give them their flowers. We've done it with other teams this season. Napoli got theirs last week. And um, look, it's whether you like Barcelona or not, um, one thing that a lot of neutrals will love is that Xavi Hernandez has won his first La Liga title. Um, he done so on, on the turf. As a manager. Yeah, yeah sorry, <laughs> as a manager for sure. Yeah, yeah. I think he, he got seven as a player. 
Yeah, I think he knew the feeling generally, but this was a different feeling for him because he did it from the dugout this time. Uh, they beat Espanyol 4-2 in the Catalan derby, uh, celebrated on the turf of their rivals and then got chased off of it, um, which was entertaining or uh, dangerous. Depends on how you want to look at it. Um, but Xavi, like, what a job. In 18 months, what he's done to turn around um, the feeling of this football club to lead them to their, their 27th La Liga title. Um, a fantastic moment for him and the one that goes to show that he was ready for the job. Um, obviously, like coming into it, you're never quite sure what you're going to be getting. Are you getting a Solskjaer? Are you getting the real deal? It's like they got the real deal here. Um, what I like about Xavi and when you read about it is it's like he, I think he was shocked when he came back to Barcelona about how things had fallen apart. The standards that had been set all through the successful years that he was there had decimated um, in those, well, years where just things just started to crumble under certain people. Um, the playing standards, the training standards, the, you know, just the way that you were supposed to conduct yourself as a player of Barcelona just was no longer the case anymore. And, you know, he... he pulled aside a few, a few members of that squad who were senior Busquets and the like and just set about making sure they knew who they were playing for and what it took and what was expected of them and that one of the things was expected of them was to win the league and um, he's done that so quickly so much quickly than you'd have thought this team started the season in crisis literally they were talked as the crisis club of the world um managed to sign Lewandowski and Kunde and pull off some deal, Rafinha. And, you know, they were in a moment of despair turned into a moment when they've won the league. It's actually quite incredible that he's managed to do this. And now he's trying to get Messi back to the club. Like this man is do anything he can to restore past glories to Barcelona. And I mean, I think that for us neutrals, that's something to love. Yeah, I think with this, it's um, I'm happy to marvel at a manager for his tactical acumen for setting up a team that can consistently win games and, and be excellent on the field. I have even more respect for a manager who can stop the glass ceiling from crumbling in above him and deal with the ridiculous amount of rubbish, politically speaking, that these clubs tend to attract. And like, it's the same story really with Eric Ten Hag at Man United. Like he's, he's kind of holding a fractured, broken team from the top down together himself and he's managing the stuff on the pitch he's managing the stuff off the pitch he's liaising with a difficult situation above him he's dealing with the politics like it's an incredible job and Xavi has done a very similar thing okay he's not obviously directing the transfers but Barcelona has been a bit of a circus over the course of the last year and a half due to financial difficulties selling off TV rights all sorts of stuff to be able to manage a club to this degree of success and this consistency of win rate with all that crap going on in the background, I think it takes a really special man. And Xavi has done an amazing job of keeping all of that at bay and managing to make sure that the product on the pitch is a winning product. It's awesome. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's it's one of those things. And you can see the relief, I think, so much in it. And as much as anything else, you know, we mentioned that four-year gap. That's a long time for Barcelona. You know, this is one of those things that, you know, over the last two decades, I would probably say, you know, we've seen this Barcelona side dominate in La Liga. Yes, Real Madrid have dominated in Europe 100%. But there, a, a gap of that amount, you know, feels like it, it, it shouldn't be happening to Barcelona. And yet we've seen all of the, you know, the bits and bobs over the last couple of years, the structures, the levers, the whole, you know, the whole shebang. 
And as you say, to have done that in these circumstances, yes, they've signed players. Yes, they've signed big players. Lewandowski's arrival, I think, was, was a major kind of cog, even if his second half of the season hasn't been great. But the way that things have turned around and the way that it's looking at Barcelona for the future now is mostly due to the fact that it feels like they're in competent hands again. And Xavi deserves immense credit, I think, for, for all of that. And also the joint title parades of the men's and women's teams made me very, very happy. I thought they were excellent. Mm -hmm. So I re really enjoyed those scenes as well. Nice. Um, right, nice. let's flick onwards. I have a thing we love as well. And I know that Sam's going to love this as well. In that Marcelo Bielsa has been appointed as the manager of the Uruguay national football team. And oh, yeah. I couldn't be I couldn't be more over the moon, if I'm perfectly honest with you. And I, it's, it's just so exciting. And the rumours of this sparked a little while ago that it was, you know, it was potentially in the works. And suddenly, you know, the idea of Bielsa going back to not just international management, but international management in South America. Obviously, the job he did with Chile was remarkable um and he is still loved there obviously i think the fan group still call themselves the widows of bielsa which is a pretty remarkable thing to have going on a, a few years later but uruguay feels like a nice fit and I'm, I'm really really excited to see what he can do with this team Sam. oh it's it's a great fit i mean what do you expect from from your marcelo bielsa teams it's the work rate it's the grit it's the hunger determination all the off the ball work the pressing it suits uruguay and their national style of football, just down to the ground. It's it's a perfect, perfect match. And then beyond that, I give a shout out to uh, Jose Perez, someone I follow on Twitter, who said, I've always been, he said, I've, I've always been disappointed at how Uruguayan managers have basically bypassed a really talented midfield crop. They take the grit maybe to a, a level too, maybe a level too far and try to and maybe bypass some of the really talented footballers they have in terms of playmaking as well and being more creative and being more assertive. And when you look at this Uruguay team and you, you consider the fact that, you know, they've got warriors you know, top to bottom in every line and you've got Ronald Araujo on the, you know, on the halfway line prowling and pressing and pushing up and stuff like that. That's amazing. But give him Fede Valverde, and give him Manuel Ugarte, fine. Give him Bentoncourt, you know, and use these players to their potential on the ball as well as off it. And we're about to see a very different Uruguay to we see to the, to the likes of which we've seen. I mean, in my lifetime, basically, because Oscar Tabarez was, you know, he was judged for like sixteen years or something like that. And so, like, it's been like that the entire time. This is so exciting. Mm. Yeah, just like it's just a wonderful match. And I, I love Dean that Uruguay have just posted a thing with a, a little bucket this morning with the Uruguay logo on. They've uh, they're diving right into the Bielsa hype. Yeah, I saw that and I just thought of you too. I knew how happy it would make you both. Um, you are, I mean, I presume you'll be going to watch his first game. Uh, I don't know how you'll get there. How, what, you'll <laughs> make it work. We, we ride at dawn. Ride. <laughs> you'll do, make it do, work, yeah. There must be a boat you can get to Uruguay that, that's a cheaper option. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, the only people I feel sorry for is Leeds fans having to watch this from afar. Um, you know, the more you think about it, the idea of getting rid of Bielsa going through what they've been through and ending up at this moment in the season, Sam Allardyce team trying to stay up and scrap for everything. It's it's like well, sometimes... Aladici yeah. got a point against uh, Newcastle. That's that's not bad going. Not many did, but a little spoiler alert. A little spoiler alert. They do feature in Melon of the Week, so... <laughs> we'll leave things there, shall we? We'll <laughs> I, like to, there. I like to imagine this conversation that the social team for the Uruguayan 
Football Association had with their designer, you know, their sort of the image that we're talking about. Um, you know, I said announcement image is basically, isn't it, for Marcelo Bielsa and Jack? If you cast your mind back to, you know, commissioning creators at Bleacher Report for different images to launch different things, you imagine telling someone, right, we need a picture to announce Marcelo Bielsa. Okay, what do you want on it? Um, a coffee cup and a bucket. Okay. And a picture of him? No. No, no, no. no, 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 no. Leave him out. No, no, no. Leave him out. You don't we don't want a picture of Bielsa in this Bielsa. That's the last but... thing we want. Do not do that. People will prefer this. But not having faces in it, wouldn't I? That would have been that would have been the classic. It doesn't have enough faces in it. I'm like, what do you mean? It's the back of Joaquin's shirt. Um everybody should look at it all the time. Uh, right. Let's get on to the main thrust of this podcast. After the break, we're gonna be joined by Liam to talk all things Chelsea and Mauricio Pochettino. Stick with us. For the ones finding new ways to ensure the job always gets done. For the ones wearing many hats. For the ones who are hands-on, even from far away. And the ones keeping business moving forward. We are Granger, Offering professional-grade industrial supplies, plus real-time product availability and access to experts ready to answer your toughest questions. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Welcome back to Ranks FC, where I'm delighted to say that we're joined by a very special guest, an old friend of the pod, Liam Toomey of The Athletic and the Straight Out of Cobham podcast. Liam, it's brilliant to have you with us. Thanks so much for jumping on. No, pleasure to be here, guys. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. I always thought that, you know, considering all the things going on at Chelsea, it'd be good to get some expert opinions on on how this is going to look for Pochettino. And we're going we're gonna to get into the five things that he really needs to sort out pretty much as soon as he gets through the door. But just before that, we're going to take a quick reminder on Pochettino's last tenure at PSG from Jonathan Johnson of CBS, French football expert. He's going to just remind us how it ended at PSG. It's fair to say Pochettino and PSG never really worked in the way that everybody, I think, expected it to. Obviously, Pochettino returning to PSG where he was a former player captain no less um, and then coming back as a highly rated coach I think the hope was that he would lead them uh, to, to to take a big step in the Champions League obviously was following on from Thomas Tuchel who managed to take them to a Champions League final uh, you know so finally got them over that bump of uh, you know regularly crashing out in the quarterfinals and then regressing a bit uh, you know Pochettino did deliver some you know, some impressive results, uh, you know, PSG fans will remember sort of dismantling uh, Barcelona away from home in the Champions League, uh, knocking out Bayern Munich as well, who were defending champions, uh, you know, a year on after that Champions League final defeat in Portugal. But equally, uh, you know, there were always kind of questions about what sort of style Pochettino was trying to implement with PSG. Um, big questions as well about his trust in the youth that PSG had available. Obviously, we know that's a problem that's predated Pochettino and is, you know, still exists now. But uh, it's something that Pochettino was unable to remedy. Uh, and that led to, uh, you know, guys like uh, Xavi Simons, uh, you know, moving on to PSV Eindhoven, where he's exploding uh, at this moment in time, uh, you know, and I think what was perhaps most damaging, uh, you know, to to Pochettino overall and and damaging to PSG as well is that Pochettino had spoke uh, talked up coming back to PSG for quite some time. PSG were kind of you know waiting for their opportunity, and when it did come and they took it, 
you know, it, it kind of felt like it was, uh, you know, something that, I don't know, maybe Pochettino has never quite, uh, you know, really convinced, uh, you know, was ever the right fit for him. What's the novelty of returning to Paris and to, to Ligue 1 wore off for Pochettino? It, it kind of devolved into almost something quite similar to when Jose Mourinho was at Manchester United, uh, where, you know, Pochettino never really felt settled, uh, you know, lived the entirety of his time uh, pretty much out of a out of a hotel. And it was almost like, uh, you know, he just couldn't wait to leave. Obviously, he added some much needed silverware to his CV. But really it was silverware that he was expected to to, to add to his cv sort of almost like a, a minimum service okay so sam it was hardly perfect and he's got a fair bit to prove here i think so should we get stuck into this yeah the conversation is centered all around you know what chelsea have to do to make up the grounds uh, and what chelsea have to prove but yeah at least part of the conversation is about what Pochettino steps into and, and, and what he has to prove too. So I think it's kind of mirrored on both sides. But let's get stuck into this because it is, it's a hell of a to-do list. You know, it, it, in a way, it's, it must be quite exciting for him because he's been given the keys to, uh, you know, a, a gargantuan team and an incredible playing squad. But there is a lot that needs to be sorted out here over the course of the summer for him to be remotely successful. So I think in a... In a more traditional ranking, we go five to one and save the most important thing for last. But I'm going to start with it because I think it shapes so much of what's to come later and so much of the rest of the team. I think the trickle down effect is really, really strong. And so I think the, f the first thing and the most important thing he needs to do is decide on the identity and the profile of his number nine. Now, he's used different number nines in different 10 years, uh, didn't really get a big striker at PSG, but he loved a big striker at Tottenham in Harry Kane and at Southampton before that with Ricky Lambert. And really, he made quite a lot of effort to build his teams around these strikers. And I think if he's given the opportunity to pick a striker, he probably will go for something like this again. Uh, so let's just recap. Kane Easy to play, easy to build around, right? I mean, he's an absolutely ridiculously good striker and he's so good in so many facets of the game. Why wouldn't you build around him? Seems obvious to me. But at Southampton, he made clear, considered tactical moves to build around and play around Ricky Lambert, even getting to the point where he played James Ward-Prowse at right wing so that he could just cross the ball to Ricky Lambert over and over again. That was part of the strategy. He moved Ward-Prowse to right wing for a full season. So... He will do what he can to play to the number nine and play to a big number nine where possible. So looking at Chelsea's in-house options, seems like, you know, Romelu Lukaku, if he were to return from loan and play a part, is the only direction he can really look in there. No one else can fulfill this role. So that's the first question. Will Lukaku return and will he play a part? Because if the answer is no, then he's to go to the market and maybe spend quite a lot of money. Well, Liam, that seems like the, a reasonable place to start because Romelu Lukaku has insinuated that he would like to remain at Inter. Now, whether Chelsea allow that or not is a different question. But what are the kind of looks at uh, where we are within the club in terms of what Lukaku's future looks like? So far, we've had no indications that Lukaku would consider coming back to Chelsea or that he would be infused by that prospect. But we also know that possibly even more than last summer, 
the economics are stacked against him going back to Inter. Because in, Inter's financial state, despite their remarkable Champions League run, is pretty dicey. Um, and some of their pronouncements on Lukaku can be construed as posturing, but some of it, I think, is also a genuine reflection of where they feel they are financially, where they're saying that even on the terms at which we took him last year, which we were led to believe was Lukaku voluntarily taking about a 30 to 35% pay cut um, with Inter covering the rest of his salary and paying, I think, about a £7 million loan fee. Even along those terms, uh, Inter are saying, you know, that's, that's too much. Um, I think they're saying that partly based on where they are, but also because he hasn't been for them what he was the year, you know, the, the two years before he went to Chelsea. He hasn't been their talisman. He's been rotated in and out by Simone and Zaghi and, and only recently has he begun to show signs of getting back to the player that he was. Um, so all of these things are amassed against him going back to Inter. And I think, honestly, from a financial point of view, from Chelsea, Chelsea's perspective, bringing him back is, is really the only thing that makes sense. We know that Chelsea's ownership had pretty quick regret um, at agreeing to the deal that they did to, to send him to Inter so, so early along those terms. They did it to back Tuchel. And then, of course, they made a very different decision on Tuchel not too long afterwards. Um, so I, I, I think I think there would probably be an appetite from Chelsea to bring him back and try to rehab his value at Stamford Bridge. It wouldn't surprise me at all. I don't know this, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if Pochettino were keen on the idea too because of everything that Sam just said, you know, like his history with, with focal point number nines. We know that Lukaku has limitations in that respect. There are things he can't do, but he is extremely good at the things that he can do. Uh, and I don't think Chelsea... I think Chelsea left a lot on the table, shall we say, last time in terms of things that Tuchel didn't try or, or just wasn't prepared to try to maximise them that maybe Pochettino would. So it all comes down to whether Lukaku feels those bridges are burned, whether he wants to, whether he wants to come back. But it's... it's it's a difficult situation for all involved because he has three years left mm. still on this massive contract. And he, he, if he would come back to Chelsea, he would be their highest earner again. That's where his salary sits in the structure. Um, so there, there's a lot to this, but I think on a pure football perspective, bringing him back, there's there's a lot of merit to it. There's loads of merit to it. And I think that you know Pochettino is the sort of manager he needed to go in there in order for this to work because of the type of person he is at building relationships with players and making you feel that this could actually work. I've spoken to people about Lukaku and whether he would come back. And what well, I was told recently, I said, I said, look, there are players in this team who feel like if Lukaku had been at Chelsea for this season, it wouldn't have been a problem. Like all the type of chances they set up were made for a striker like Lukaku to be finishing off. And so once you take that into account, once you think all they need is a number nine, they just need someone to finish chances. That is what Lukaku does. That is his bread and butter. So if he can feel like he's welcome again, if he feels like he's got the confidence of his manager and he can get off to a good start so he's actually scoring goals and hasn't got that burden on his brain, then honestly, there is no reason why Lukaku can't come into Chelsea and score 20 goals next season and Chelsea are in contention to try and win the Premier League title. That, it's, it is that simple. I know it doesn't work out as easily as that, but like that is how easy it could be. Like Liam's right, like he really enjoys his playing in Serie A. There's no doubt about that. And I think if he had to 
a straight choice, he would probably just choose to play for Inter Milan because I think he's been a bit of mind space. Um, generally, I think he, it just edges it for him. But also, you know, third time lucky at Chelsea, it's it's going <laughs> to haunt him for the rest of his life. The fact that this move hasn't worked out, like why why not give it one more try? I think the other thing you have to consider is that Nkunku's coming into this team um, now under Poch. Look, it was it was talked about before, like the potential for Nkunku to come in as a false nine. I don't think that was the plan when they signed him, but given the fact that nobody can score goals in this team, I think it's suddenly come as option like, oh, what's he like as a false nine? Could that work? And a Pochettino, I'm not convinced that that would be the option. But then you've also got to throw in like, Brozier will be coming back into the equation. They've got to get rid of Aubameyang. And then there's the Kai Havertz thing as well. Like, where does Kai Havertz actually fit into all this? What's his position going to be? And why does he keep talking about Thomas Tuchel every single week at the moment? Is it because he <laughs> wants to get back to playing with him? Is it because he misses him? I don't know, but he keeps doing it and I'm not sure what it means. Well, look, let me um, let me take it on from there then because speaking of Havertz and you know what might be in store for him, I think in a Pochettino setup, he goes back to the attacking midfield band as a, in, in terms of like your rough position group. And that's where I want to go next because Pochettino is basically going to have to figure out, you know, how to cast the new roles in the play for Deli Ali, Hyungmin Son and Christian Eriksen. So the three players that are basically playing off his number nine. So for those of you that can't cast your minds back, uh, I'll give a brief recap for you. Deli Ali was basically a support striker. He played off Kane, but often ran ahead of him, was often trying to latch on to Toby Alderweireld long balls from the back, and he was getting into the box, he was scoring headers. He was basically a, a forward more than a midfielder. Um, Ericsson played sort of just off the right, narrow winger, kind of half space area, uh, big time creator and a big time crosser as well. Obviously, crossing to Harry Kane was a big one, and to Deli Ali, who was very good in the air. And then Son was a runner of, over the top of the defence, running off the target man and probably the secondary goal source in the team, probably good for 15 to 20 per season. The expectation was that that player would score goals. Now, I'm not saying that Pochettino has to play 4-2-3-1 with a big with a big striker and has to recast these roles exactly. But it does strike me that, A, this is his preferred style. Southampton, Tottenham and a bit of PSG, this is what he wants to do. And B... There's a lot of these players on the books at Chelsea in this attacking midfield band that really suit these roles. They really do. They look you, you look at them and you think you could absolutely play that role and you could absolutely play that role. The interesting thing is that several of them, I think you could argue, could play one or two of the roles. And that's where the debate comes in, I think. Because you've got, say, I don't know, Mason Mount could be Deli Ali, but so could Raheem Sterling. And so could Christopher Nkunku. I was going to say. Like, absolutely could be Nkunku. And Sterling could also play off the left. Sterling could be Son, couldn't he? Could quite easily be Son. Mm -hmm. But surely that's Mudrick, right? Surely that's Mudrick. Mudrick's Son, I think, yeah. yeah. I mean, but it could also be Sterling, because he can also play that role. And if you're probably, Mudrick, It's if probably you're... for the best that there is more than one option in these positions. 100%. I'm not suggesting that, you know, they're all going to be rotating <laughs> well, Chelsea have about 27 options in these positions, so they're Apart fine. On the right, where there's no options. But yeah. Yeah. maybe that we... Christian Eriksen role goes to Mason Mount, Liam. That would be my, my, my think about it. That would be my that would be my thinking. I don't Mount's not as creative, and I don't say that to denigrate Mount. I think Eriksen is a supremely creative player. Um, Mount's probably a bracket below in that respect, but in terms of how they, in terms of the intelligence with which they they find space, 
and move between the lines and the positions they like to take up. One of the things Mount does really well is he'll operate in the half space on each side and he, he inter, interplays with an overlapping winger or wing back really, really well. He's got a very easy chemistry with Ben Chilwell and Reese James, depending on which side he's playing. In the same way that I think Christian Eriksen did in those areas. Um, and I do think Mount's got the technique to supply those kind of crosses that Dan was talking about as well. Just on the, the alley front, to me, it's Havertz. Um, mm. Because I, I, I think he's, if you look at the more the player Havertz was at Leverkusen than what he's shown at Chelsea, his success was arriving late in the box, using his plus size for his position to score headers mm. um, as well as as well as finishing and being more of a play finisher than a than a creator. Um, I, I think Havertz would be really well suited to that role and Kunku could probably do it in a in a slightly different way. Um, mm. and I do totally agree that Mudrick is skill set wise probably the, the closest to Son, although obviously he's got their way to go a fair bit more polishing to do that yeah it's funny I had to write a piece on on this like potch 2.0 like if he was to copy like what he did at Tottenham at Chelsea like so a similar thing to what we've just gone through there um but I had to take it a bit further as well and look at like who would his uh Vertonghen be who would his Moussa Dembele be <laughs> and I think the biggest problem is the Dembele one they don't have the Dembele do they and I think we spoke no. a bit before did we say like Romeo Lavio is like the guy that they need as that just person? by Romeo Lavio just they, they just don't have that part. So like that that's the, that's where the money needs to be spent if they're going to actually try and replicate exactly what he built at Tottenham. Yeah. Well, let, let me again let me take it on then because I think the next thing on the docket here is is this Ingolo Kanté future contract and his backup or his replacement depending on, you know, what happens and like maybe I've missed a news cycle or or Liam can tell me but uh as we sit here today Six week in six weeks' time, Angola Kante's contract will expire, and I don't know what's happening next. Now, obviously, they've had to deal without him for most of the season. Let's be honest; like he's missed most of the season, and it's been a massive shame. Um, whether or not they can find a resolution with him, whether that's what they want to do, given his you know the injury issues that have been creeping up, I don't know. I, I would say I would say extend him and also buy another one. Not to say that there's just loads of Cantes around, but you're going to have to find a midfield profile that can also offer a lot of what he does because you now, as Jack famously coins often, you can't rely on Cante. Like you can't you can't count on him being there any longer. So you need to have a proper plan, even if you have him on the team. So Liam, what do you think happens here? Yeah, so it's all gone very quiet with Cante's contract extension. The last thing we heard. It was reported by my colleague David Ornstein that they've made positive progress um, to, to to get him tied to an extension. And Chelsea have wanted all along to keep Kante. Uh, they see him as a really high 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 quality veteran presence as much as anything. I know he's not the most vocal leader, but I think they they see him as a as a very good example daily on the on the training pitch. And his personality is just a really positive influence on the squad, as as well as everything that he offers as a player. Um, but I think he's probably one of these guys that is waiting to see what happens. And now there is a measure of clarity in that we know Pochettino's coming in, even though it hasn't been formally announced yet. Um, so I, that may help, but I think it will probably take at least a conversation with Pochettino, uh, between Pochettino and Kante to, to sort of nail down where Kante fits into the plans. 
I think it's interesting from a tactical perspective because if you're looking at, I, I did a piece a little while ago on, you know, Pochettino's four-two-three-one at Tottenham and and how Chelsea players might fit into that. Kante is is one of these players that could maybe sort of play either of those midfield roles in the in the double pivot. He does have a very varied skill set, but he's contrary to some lazy opinions, he's never he's never been suited to be the deepest midfielder. Um, and and so in that sense, I think if you've got Enzo Fernandez, who is the one that Chelsea are clearly building around for the long term now, I think the the view is that you need to pair Fernandez, particularly at this stage of his career where he's the unpolished side of his game is the defensive side. You know, with the ball, he's he's already pretty special. Um, but you probably need to pair him with more of a destructive presence in midfield. But also a more uh, mobile case, presence as well, Liam. Right, a more yeah. mobile because Enzo, like he has loads of corners. He can't, he can't move about too quickly. Like he's a relatively stationary dude, and that's not. A well, compared to compared to Jorginho, the man who was replacing, <laughs> he's he's an athletic upgrade. But I, I do take your point. He's certainly still got his limitations in that respect. I think yeah. the, you look at this though, and and you kind of try and work out who comes in here. I mean. The, the problem is, I think, when you're looking at trying to map these four two three ones, the you know the two players in the pivot were Eric Dyer and Musa Dembele. Enzo is neither, right? That's not to say that he couldn't fit in a Pochettino team, but he is very much neither of these players. You know, he's not going to sit back and split the defensive line in the way that Eric Dyer did as the kind of you know, kind of secondary defender. Or Wanyama. And he's definitely, uh, yeah, yeah. but he's definitely also not the kind of dribbly presence that Musa Dembele was. And we talk about this quite a lot. So that's more Kovacic. Kovacic, right, yeah. is, is the natural position. But I, I don't think that Mateo Kovacic is going to be at Stamford Bridge come August. No. So when you look at this, it's kind of like, how do you get the best out of Enzo in a double pivot? And the really obvious answer, although you have to go and splash loads of money on it, is don't you go and it. sign his double pivot partner from Benfica. You <laughs> sign Florentino Luis because they already have that chemistry. Look, I don't think Chelsea are going to do this. One, because Benfica are now like, well, you paid you paid it last time. You're going to pay it again. And they've just upgraded Flo Luis's, uh his kind of release clause to about 105 million as well. So I don't think they're going to go and buy two midfielders for over 200 million from Benfica. But if you can find a player in that profile, then somehow this looks a little bit easier and it looks a little bit better. And that's, a, that's the next question, I suppose. Yeah, so basically to, to sort of, come back to why this is massively important because um, this feeds into kind of the fullbacks as well like Poch's Poch's style needs like very good attacking fullbacks there's a lot of workload on the fullbacks it's, a, it's very physical it's very energetic they get really high up they overlap they hold the width and they get up and, and they fire crosses into the box and the first thing I look for when I see Pochettino taking over a team is right what the fullbacks like and at PSG, it was an absolute shambles. And that was always going to hold him back initially. And we, we basically called it at the time. We were like, okay, he needs new fullbacks. To be fair, they gave him Nuno Mensch and Ashraf Hakimi. So that wasn't too bad. At Chelsea, they don't need surgery in this area. He has been given an absolute gift in the form of Ben Chilwell and Rhys James. Two fullbacks as a pairing among the very best in the world. But no surgery needed there. But when they push forward and when they attack and when the target man's in the box... And when the second striker joins and maybe one of the midfielders, they are going to need a shield in midfield to protect against counters and transitions. You need someone in the channel to protect protect the outside of the centre-back and behind the full-back. And what Dembele Wanyama did really, really well was just sit in those channels, basically the half spaces, and just protect and just stop. And like 
protect the outside of the centre-back from being killed by an outside runner every time Tottenham overcommitted. You need players that can cover ground and have defensive acumen in order to just shield this area of the pitch and protect you against counters. Dembele and Wanyama and Dyer were good at this. Kante, very good at this, but they need others. Oddly enough, Dennis Zachariah looks like a good fit to me, but uh, who knows? I mean, mm-hmm. absolutely, who knows? The other one on the on in the squad that does it does make me wonder. Actually, there are two. Trevor Chalobah has played four different positions in his senior career so far and played midfield for Lorient on loan and has the size as well because I think this is this is a small Chelsea team and might need to consider getting a player who's six foot and above here in this position to help with set pieces and basic aerial stuff. Chalobah's interesting. And then Ethan Ampadu, every time I watch him play for Wales, he's basically a one-man midfield covering a 50-yard square zone on his own, and he nearly pulls his own calf every time because everyone else lets him down. I do look at him and think, if you play with some relatively competent players, you might be all right. So there might be some in-house solutions here. I'm not sure. They might not have to go and drop 100 million on Flo Luis, but um, they need to do something, and Poch will have to figure this out. Well, the other one is Declan Rice. I was going to say, hang on, we've even spoken about the main thing yet. <laughs> he, he's, the, he's the supercharged Eric Dyer, basically. Like he's he's a much better version. There's a guy who was a centre-back all the way through the academy, so he has those instincts. He interprets that role in, Very well. in a defensive way, but he uses the ball extremely intelligently. There's a there, There's been a long-running uh, culture war on Chelsea Twitter of, that has been epitomised in, in, in some respects by kind of Enzo Fernandez versus Declan Rice, who should Chelsea have gone out and signed? I think both. Yeah, that's his both. Seen. They're a really good combination. <laughs> they complement each other perfectly. What do you think about um, the fact that Declan like has this intention to like evolve into like a different sort of midfielder though? Because I think, you know, he wants to be that like driving midfielder that like gets into the box and stuff, doesn't he? Do you, can that work? In that system, maybe not, yeah. but... I, I just, I'm just not sure if any of the clubs that would sign Declan want him to do that. Him that way, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think he, he wouldn't be the he wouldn't be the first player to view himself in a fundamentally different light to the way that everyone else in football sees him. Like, how how much of his prime did Theo Walcott spend insisting yeah. that he was another nine? And it happens with midfielders quite a lot as well. I think more than more than anybody. I always have this bone to pick with Adrian Rabiot. The guy just doesn't understand his own skill set. He's nearly thirty. Grow up, Adrian. Just, just, just for the word, Chelsea shouldn't sign Adrian Rabiot. Let's just make no, no, that no. very clear. Um, no. But I do think <laughs> no, there are players that you can you can make this work with. I mean, the one that I've kind of become interested in, and it, you know, it's, it's a long running saga. This as well. But Yuri Tielemont has a lot of Musa Dembele's skill set. He's not quite as good a carrier of the ball, but he actually does more defensive work than people give him credit for, and he ranks really highly. For, for blocks, for tackles, for interceptions, and for progressive carries. And I, I think that on a free transfer, that makes a lot of sense for me, no, Chelsea. No, makes a lot no, of sense. Not having it, Jack. Fine. You don't have to it's have not, it. <laughs> yeah, it's not up to me. Uh, <laughs> he's not mobile enough. He's slow. He's slower than Enzo. I think you bring he him in as an Enzo rotator, not as a, n- not necessarily as a complement part. I'll think about it. You'll think about it. Thanks. The thing I wonder, the thing I wonder with him is why hasn't why haven't any of the big clubs actually gone for him yet? Why he's has a, he been? He's having a shocker of a season for a start. But everyone's known for two years what his contract situation was. 
And yeah. there was a lot of talk that he would go to Arsenal. And it just feels like, you know, maybe it's as simple as what Sam said about the, the limitations that he has that people see on the pitch. But it feels like when you get to a stage like this and no one has moved to him yet, you start to think, what, what, do, what do clubs know that we don't? That makes him less attractive than maybe he might seem. Yeah, I mean, Dean, maybe maybe you can fill us in. I don't know, really. No, I don't. To be honest, it's it's it, Liam's right. Like there, you do get to a stage. There are there are always players like this that are constantly linked, like um, Florian Grilich. Isco linked with like the Premier League move for like ten years in a row, and then just like never seen. But there's always there's always this thing, and you're like, okay, so why is no one biting the bullet? And there's obviously. There's a feeling in the scouting world, obviously, that he hasn't been worth it yet. And that's all you can judge it on at this moment in time, I think. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting. All right, Sam, let's, uh, should we kick it onwards again? Yeah, okay, to point number four, uh, we can keep this one relatively brief, or at least I can, and then throw it to you guys. Um, but it's, it's vitally important. None of this works. Pochettino style does not work. This project fails unless everybody at the club gets a lot fitter very, very quickly. Liam, I'd be, I'd be really interested to hear your point of view since you're at every game and you're watching them in the flesh and whether or not you can corroborate on this. But like to me, watching Chelsea, they look unfit. They, uh, I think Lampard has referenced this at one point, um, or I might have imagined that, but I'm pretty sure this is a massive, massive problem. And it's a damn good job that Pochettino gets the entire summer and pre-season. And trust me, lads, it ain't going to be fun because none of you are anywhere near fit enough to play his football. This has been a big theme of Chelsea's disastrous season. Um, Tuchel was not happy with the way pre-season went. It was it was organised at the last minute because of the takeover and the sanctions and everything. Uh, Chelsea did too much travelling, too little training. They played a lot of games in different time zones. It was just, on, a, on many different levels, it was less than ideal. And they were also coming off a season in which they played 63 games which was the most alongside Liverpool. And I think you saw with both of those clubs this season, that had a cost yeah. in terms of the injuries that they suffered across the board. But um, yeah, they came into this season, I think, physically undercooked and maybe with some fatigue still in their legs. Then you replace Tuchel with Potter and every coach has a slightly different approach in terms of what they want to do with uh, with physical conditioning. Um but of course, you don't necessarily have that time in a six-week sprint towards the World Cup, which is what Potter was plunged into. He he said towards the end of his time as coach that the players had told him that it was the worst preseason they'd been involved in um, from from an organisation point of view, just from the, from how well it prepared them for the season. And now, since Lampard has come in, he has said numerous times, and I know it can be a little bit of a a new, a new manager trope at times to say the players aren't fit enough. I think Deitch said the same at Everton when he came in after Lampard, which was uh, quite a funny <laughs> alternate view. But, um, but Lampard has said on several occasions at Chelsea that uh, the fitness levels are not good enough. And when you're looking at it on the pitch, you can't always tell where a lack of physical sharpness ends and where a, a lack of motivation begins. Chelsea's also been one of the least motivated teams in the Premier League. This has been the time. thing, man. I was While I was weighing it up, I was because I've been looking at Mateo Kovacic recently and I'm like, well, he's either unfit or he's given up. And I literally don't know which one it is. Could be a bit both. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think they, 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 they all know they've got very little to play for between now and the end of the season. And we, we know how big Pochettino is on, on physical fitness. 
will be maybe the toughest pre-season that, that, that Chelsea as a club have seen since Antonio Conte, um, which, which may well be needed. Uh, <laughs> since poor Charlie Misonda <laughs> passed out on the pitch. Yeah, well, that is probably what's needed, isn't Graziano it? Graziano Pella said it, didn't he, of Pochettino? He was like, he murders us in the week. You know, and I mean, I suppose you expect nothing less from a Bielsa disciple, but equally, you know, it does feel like a major issue and, you know, one that is going to need to be addressed. You're going back to that pre-season, Liam. Someone told me once that Chelsea took more flights than played games, which really did make me laugh, I think, at, at one point in terms of, of what that looked like. But it... <laughs> It wasn't, yeah, not ideal preparation. You could imagine that it's not going to be quite the same. Although Chelsea are going back to the States to play in this summer series. They are, but if you look at where the matches are, it's yeah. a lot, they're, they're a lot closer. It's a lot of East Coast. There's a couple of games in the, in the middle, but they're not, they're not flying from one end of America to another. Um, and I think there probably will be a, a fair bit more training time before those games and between them. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Okay, Sam, what's the last and final point then in the in-tray? You didn't think we'd do a whole Chelsea chat without calling for a squad cull, did you? Eh? No. We got this far, but I'm sorry, but we have, to, we have to talk about it, don't we? We all know that this squad is too big, way too big uh, to be healthy, uh, not just financially, but also just like camaraderie-wise, atmosphere-wise. We've all seen the stories about, you know, not enough seats in the dressing room, all that stuff. Um, and... Also, I think they might need to raise some money um, because whether or not you know they've amortised this transfer spend over the next billion years, they did spend six hundred odd million last year, and they probably won't be able to do that again. Not that they need to, but they might need to raise some capital. So, for a couple of different reasons, you need to get rid of some players. Um, I'd love to throw the floor to Liam here to sort of pick through it because so I was looking through the squad and looking at some of the players that are actually still technically in the. T- like on the payroll, very funny. Malang Saar, still at Chelsea, hilarious stuff. Um, but they've got returning players, you know, from loan, like you know, Levi Colwell and Callum Hudson-Odoi and Ian Martson that, that need decisions. You've got some older players that are coming to the end of the tether. I don't know, I'm interested. You mentioned earlier that you, Liam and, and Jack, neither of you expect Kovacic to be a Chelsea player in August as well. So, Liam, can you sort of take us through what you expect here? So, I believe Chelsea have 13 players. And currently in their first team squad, who are in the final two years of their contracts as of this summer. Um, that's not including guys like Kante, who are technically free agents. Um, so there, there are a lot of decisions to be made in virtually every position. And I think when you look at the recruitment that, that Bowley and, and Egbali drove over the last two transfer windows, it's pretty clear that their vision has been to pretty much replace the first team squad or the vast bulk of it, um, and uh, and to implement a different salary structure, although that's been undermined a little bit by some of the deals that they did last summer. <laughs> um, so it, it is currently a bit of a mess in that regard as well. But they, they do have players who either don't have features at Bridge or don't want, you know, guys mm. like guys like Kovacic, Christian Pulisic, Hakim Ziyech. You know, some of these guys, Particularly for the second VS, they've been looking for ways out for a while, um, and, and it just hasn't happened partly because the finances have, have been a factor. Um, and I don't think Chelsea will necessarily find it easy to offload all of these players because of the fact that there is no money in Europe mm. outside of the Premier League, and even the clubs that do have money in Europe 
do not tend to buy big Premier League clubs cast-offs. I mean, the the story in January was Hakim Ziyech camping at PSG and, and somehow not getting his deal in the final minutes. But the story should have been that PSG, one of the richest clubs in the world, were A, the only club interested in Hakim Ziyech, and B, were only interested in him on loan. Sure. Um, and that shows what Chelsea are facing when they're trying to offload these guys. Yeah. So they... Yeah. To say it's not even just the fees though, is it involved? It's the wages that are involved, and this is yeah. this is the other side of it with Chelsea. Like I know that like a lot of the squad have to take wage cuts now as a result of not no European football. Um, that's that's fine, but I don't believe that the drop off is significant enough that these players are suddenly going to become available and affordable to any interested team across Europe. So like say, I mean, I've told it's going to be around, it's about 12 players available for transfer um, at Chelsea for this summer. But to get even one out is like a massive success story. Like it's an achievement (laughs) to actually get someone to sign one of these players because of all the other bits that come with it. And like, we forget that like these players as well that have been signed recently and like these long-term deals, there are rises to that as that, as they get through that contract, like, there are bits and pieces that come into that deal. So that it comes higher and higher and higher. So even some of the players that you look at now who will be available, you think, well, their wages can't be that high. They've probably crept up since last year and they probably are higher now, even with a wage drop-off. So it's it's so complicated for Chelsea to actually get rid of players that are actually going to make a difference to their wage bill. So they can loan some out. As you say, if you can't even get rid of like a Ziyech and a Pulisic, yeah, there's other guys that you're going to struggle to get rid of too so what do you have to do do you have to do you have to pay off some of their contracts do you have to accept that you're going to be paying part of it to just get them out the door it's honestly they've got themselves in a real mess here like over the over the past few years with the, the different structures to these contracts and the different types of players that just no longer suit what they're looking for it, it's really complicated like Pochettino is going to be saying looking at a group of a muddled squad, like that, just are incompatible with one another, and some of it you can solve, but some of it you just really can't. I think the, the new owners would point to the contracts that were given out in the Abramovich era, and say that generally uh, there was a practice of giving out above market salaries, and that's certain, certainly been the case in terms of guys like and at Pulisic and Diaz. I don't want to keep mentioning them because they're not the only two guys in the squad, but you know Kepa. Uh, even Mendy who wanted pay parity with with Kepa and Chelsea wisely decided they couldn't pay two keepers nearly 300 grand a week Um, (laughs) so there's there's a lot of that throughout the squad and I think the new owners signalled last summer that they are prepared to take at least an accounting loss to just get some of these guys off the books with the deal that they did to send Timo Werner back to RB Leipzig Um, I think that was actually a victory even though they yeah. sold him for a lower fee than, than he was bought for, and even though on on the accounts it was, I think it was like a three million loss, just getting him off the books when he was clearly a transfer that hadn't worked and a player that didn't want to be there yeah. was, uh, was good practice, and they're going to need a lot more of that this summer if they're going to get the, the numbers out the door that they wanted. Yeah. 
There's also this flip of the homegrown players leaving, right? And and the way that that helps to balance the accounting book. So if a homegrown player leaves, obviously Chelsea can bank the entire profit because there is no fee to, to bring them in. There's no kind of crisp of it. So well, it they're the ones couple... with the market. They're the ones that clubs are interested in. Oh. And they're not necessarily the players that Chelsea want to let go. Yeah, and mm. also, like, they're also losing the identity that they've built and the relatability with the fan base, which is what they're already struggling with. Like, there's very few players in this Chelsea squad that fans actually relate with and, like, idolise or even like half of them so when you're talking about Mason Mount leaving Conor Gallagher like they're two players you really shouldn't be losing right now because there's something there that's integral to what Chelsea are building and let's not forget like Chelsea have this clear identity pattern of getting academy players into that first year and making sure in every first team squad there are players that are have Chelsea in their DNA that are still involved in the squad, even if they're not getting on the pitch, you'll always see that there are, there are young players in the setup more often than not. And so I think it would be a terrible, terrible decision on Mount. Um, and even Conor Gallagher, I don't think at this stage would be, would be a great idea. I think he probably is expendable, but I, I just think it's the identity thing that Chelsea is struggling with. So at least to get another year of that while they're kind of going through this process of restructuring and finding out who they even are going to be anymore, that to lose these sorts of players is, is just a, yeah, a bit of a worry. Yeah. Yeah, well, maybe they can get rid of Ruben Loftus-Cheek and everyone will be uh, slightly happier, I would I would imagine. Around, around Nobody in football hates Loftus-Cheek more than you, mate. I think you yeah, nearly made it through the pod without, <laughs> yeah, without nearly. that. Nearly. I deliberately didn't bring his name up in that part and you still threw it in. I wasn't there. Uh, I'm still seething about that single year on loan at Coven Cottage. We'll, uh, we'll, uh, we'll get to it. Um, but I think, Sam, that, that concludes that concludes proceedings. Is it? Have you, well, have you it does. I mean, look, honourable mention to the goalkeepers. We managed to do like 40 minutes worth of talking about Chelsea and, and barely mentioned the goalkeepers. Liam mentioned it right at the end. And I think there's a case that they need an upgrade. There's a case for an upgrade between the sticks. But I think there are so many other more burning issues Um uh, allied with you know some potential financial constraints and some outgoing work i just don't know if i just don't know if they'll get to it really <laughs> i just don't think there are enough months in the summer so he wants um, to, though, doesn't he? this is the problem pochettino has a, identified in talks that like he he does see goalkeeper as as a potential issue but it's just you know who's going to take one or both of those goalkeepers. I think Mendy's going to be the easiest one to get out. He's, he's clearly, um, there's a briefing right now to try and find him a new club. And there's a couple, there's a couple of interest. I think it was Monaco, I was told about recently, somebody else as well. So there are... And he's on less money. He's on less money. So, so it should be a little bit easier. I think Mendy, you, you could lose. But again, you've, you've got to find someone and you know, Onana, whoever it ends up being, it's not like you're looking at a small purchase here. So if you're also looking at having to buy a number nine, if that ends up being the case, if you're having to get in an 80, another £80 million midfielder, and there's also, we haven't even talked about the fact they're still interested in Jao Felix for some reason. Like, <laughs> that hasn't come up here. The fact that they might actually still be going down that path is crazy. So don't know where this ends. I mean, they spent £600 million at the moment. The way we've just been talking, even with those three or four players, we're at basically a billion pounds now. Um, <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know Like that that's... Totally solved it all. Mm, maybe, maybe they will have to sell Conor Gallagher. Felix, yeah, Charles Felix would be the, the the strangest decision they've made yet. I think. I think given what they with. already have in the squad and mm. Lindsay coming in and what we've seen from him. It makes me wonder about. That's the one thing that makes me wonder about Havertz, to be honest, because I'm like, 
it just seems so unnecessary. Don't get me wrong. I think Felix has had some really good games for Chelsea. And even if the like output isn't there on like his stats and stuff and goals and assists, I think there's been games where Felix has been great. Um, but there's no obvious place for him to play. Nobody knows what he's actually going to do in that team. Unless Poch It's has not about him, is it? The, the conversation about Joao Felix is not about Joao Felix. It's about the Joao other Felix 85 people. It's not about the, that it's, play it's in about that he hasn't got a space. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Maybe their biggest fear is they don't sign him, Arsenal do. Maybe that's what they're just trying to prevent from happening because like Joao Felix, there's still going to be a market for him. Maybe it's that he ends up at Arsenal and... Uh, they don't claw back that gap. I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? All right. On that bombshell, I think we're going to leave it. And all that's left for me to do is to say thank you so much to Liam Toomey for joining us. Liam, where can people find you if they want to hear more from you? Yeah, you can read my ramblings on The Athletic. Uh, if you follow Chelsea on the app, you'll, you'll see everything that I write. Uh, and we've also got Straight Out of Cobham, which is coming out once a week, talking about, talking about all the latest happenings. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot going on, so it's worth tuning in, especially at the moment. This <laughs> Eight pods a week, they busy do. One. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And Liam, thank you so much. Cheers, guys. Pleasure. And we'll be back after the break for the gibberish and, of course, Melon of the Week. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Ranks FC and our thanks once again to Liam for all his insights in that main segment. We are going to come away from any sort of sensibility now and move into the realms of madness. And Dean Jones, the floor is yours. It's time for Melon of the Week. This week's Melon of the Week is Junior Firpo of Leeds United. He's making sure that Leeds are relegated. That seems to be his main job in the team at the moment. I mean, his performance levels have fallen through the floor. This weekend, v Newcastle, he conceded a penalty and was sent off. He's all and round... won a penalty. Give him, give him his due. Okay, so he started to do something good and then was like, this is going a bit too well. Better give away one and get <laughs> off of it. His all-round display was poor. I mean, defensively, can't feel anyone in that team with any confidence. It's not even a one-off performance. It's like this all the time, like regular... Two out of tens, three out of tens. If he does quite well, he gets a four out of ten. The best thing about all this for Leeds is that he's banned for the next game, so he can't do it again. Um, but honestly, like Junior Firpo, someone I thought might be a good signing when he joined, um, looks like he might be taking them down to the Championship, lads. Melon. I mean, look. I mean, I mean, look. First of all, it was an abysmal performance to the point where I think he was on five yellows in my head by the time he got his second <laughs> yellow. Yeah. Um, he like how he had how he'd stayed on the pitch to the point where he could even get another yellow card. Why wasn't was he substituted? Inc- yeah. Why wasn't Why wasn't he sent off? Why wasn't he subbed? Why is he playing left centre back in three? That's my question. What's going on? on? Big Sam Allardyce. What is going on? He is a I flying wing back and nothing else. Yeah. Come on. Put him in a position to succeed. Don't put him in a position to fail. Although I do think, I genuinely think he was trying to get sent off. I think he might have big plans next weekend and he needs the weekend off. <laughs> it was a very strange performance, wasn't it? It was a, it was a real, real keenness to get off that field, um, which isn't ideal at all. No, no, it's, it's, not, it's not been great. And I think it's been kind of doubled down on by the fact that Leif Davis, who was once at Leeds United um, and played under Bielsa a couple of times, was let go to Ipswich. And has more assists than Kevin De Bruyne this year in, in League One. He's been playing absolutely sensationally for Ipswich. And I think there's a lot of Leeds fans being like, why have we just not got him playing? Please, can he just please play? He's much better. 
So yeah, that's where that's where it ends up, I think. Yeah, now it's time for shout out of the week. So shouts out goes to J Man in the USA. He's given us the five stars and he's just gone, it good. That's all we need. He says <laughs> oh. it's good. No, he's gone deeper no, than that. Was, that was just the title. <laughs> just the title. Uh, he says these f- three fellas watch a lot of football and it makes for a fascinating weekly listen as they have a wide ranging knowledge that ranges from the mainstream hot topic items to the obscure insights into which under 20s are going to take the world by storm once the professional scouts catch up to the ranks FC scouting system. Sam Tai's title of rank god is as deserved a title as it is a daunting one as he takes on new challenging rankings every week and gets them mostly right. Jack Collins is a Pandora's <laughs> box of football knowledge, always chock full of facts, insight, and most of all, words. Ask him the time and he'll tell you how to build a watch. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of the best phrases I've ever heard. Dean, Lord of Melons and Warden of Transfers, is the lovable and relatable third member, a a wonderful foil to his cohorts and serves up a steady stream of comedy and solid takes. Thanks, Ranks FC, for the countless hours of entertainment and football fun. It good. I'll tell you what, there was another one. So thanks for that, J-Man. But um, Z-Rod actually said... That's unbelievable. It was great. Um, Z-Rod actually said his second review... He's done one before. He said in another one called the Raphaelial of podcasts, and he went into quite a lot of detail too. I'm not going to read it all out because he's had it been read out before. But if you want to get your review in now on a second device, then absolutely go for it because he is absolutely <laughs> changing the, changing the game. Here. Zero has changed the game. It's all, it's all different. Thank you so much for all of your reviews. Please do hit us up if you're on Apple Podcasts or wherever you like. Uh, hit us with those five stars and leave us a comment. It really does help us to grow the podcast and we really do appreciate it. Right. That is the gibberish siren. And today I'm going to be teaching you how to build a what? <laughs> Three steps. Um, I am going to say my three learnings from going on three stag do's in three weeks. Uh, and so it's going to be a help to anybody who's listening to this, who is planning a stag do, hopefully. Or bachelor hopefully. party in case or you're wondering what a stag party. do is. Yes, 100%. Thank you, Dean. It's always good to have the translator in tow. <laughs> <laughs> right. So number three is that two nights is enough for a stag do. Two nights is enough. Well, it's the limit, I'd say. It's, I did three this weekend. I've done two two-nighters and this, the third one. The third one, I completely and utterly conked out on the third night. I was sitting there. Everyone was watching Eurovision. It was a Thursday or Friday and Saturday night. Everyone was dressed up watching Eurovision in a bar. And we'll come back to Eurovision. But I was just asleep in a chair. I was just completely and utterly asleep in a chair. And mm. it was about 10 p.m., and I realized that whilst the battery on on this engine is pretty high and Dean and Sam will yep. kind of stand for this, I, I'm yep. a good, a good session, if you will. Um, and I, I can, I can go, got good staying yep. power. Even this was too much for you. Now it might be the accumulation of seven, seven nights on a stag doing approximately 21 say, days. Mate, we can't, we can't rule out the fact that it's just a knock on effect, you know, 63 games in a season. It's going to have an effect. Yeah, cumulative. But I, I do think that two nights is perfect. The only exception to this rule is if you have a night, sort of a calmer night in the middle. So if you went for like a dinner night, 
So if you did like a Friday night, a dinner night, and then you went out no again on the Sunday, you could cope <laughs> with almost that. Impossible. It's, impo- do it's that. impossible, right? No one does this. It's yeah. like Fridays, we don't get it wrong. Fridays, we get it wrong. But th- those are the <laughs> rules of pretty much every single engagement that you, you get into in these regards. So I would say that my first learning is that two nights on a stag do is enough nights. Yeah. Secondly in this thing is I think 15, 16 is the peak number of people done a couple. So we had 10 when we were away this weekend. Uh, we did a 20 in Liverpool and it was about 18 in Ooh. Newcastle. Mm. So I've had a couple of different experiences. And I, I think that peak number is about 16 because it allows everybody to get to know each other without it being like, oh, there's people from all over the place. I feel like on the 20 man stack deal I went on, there are still three to four people that I don't know, which is a shame really, because I'm sure they're absolutely lovely. But I didn't get around to spending quality time with everybody. And that, yeah. that I think, is, is a shame. 10 it is a little bit low, little, just a tad. Um, but I do think the sort of 16 to 18 range, we're in, we're in good territory of, of, of it all being good. And uh, yeah, it was, that, was, that was my first one in Newcastle. And it was, yeah, it was, it was great stuff, great vibes. She- shepherding that many people around sounds like an absolute disaster yeah i mean what you do is that many people you split them into teams that's what happened that's what happened you split them into teams and you give them little little codes no it was like team (laughs) team lilac team purple everyone doing different things um and they were just in charge of actually getting people from place to place which actually worked quite nicely as as a whole does sound good yeah it is a bit junior school but fine it works. It works. It works. It worked. Um, my biggest take is that some activities on a stag do are good and some are bad. And I would ideally say that paintballing, especially indoor paintballing, is not a good stack activity. You would think Terrible. that it might be. You'd think that it might be. No, I don't. But it's not. It's not. Because I am still limping a week later from the bruises <laughs> that I got hit on my leg. The stag sent a picture this weekend, seven days after his tag, and he looks like, you know when they do suction cups on footballers' backs and there's all yeah. those red marks everywhere? His back still looks like that. It has welts all over it. Now, he did have to run through a firestorm of paintballs as his last activity within it. But I would just say the amount of damage done to each other, <laughs> the amount of pain cause and the amount of people who are still messaging being like yeah i'm still in real amounts of pain there's you know bruises on my leg that are gone green it's all it's all not very pretty that's pain it's all Uh, pain go kayaking, good stag activity (laughs) going to a football match great stag activity no i didn't even handle the go-karting at sam's i was i was too sick so i didn't even get i didn't even manage to get to the racing part of that when i went paintballing i I actually really enjoyed it because what I did is I found a corner where nobody would find me, didn't shoot out anything, so nobody had any reason to question whether I was there. Just spent an hour laying on the floor. That was it. That. Then I then that I heard it all end. Got up, walked back, still all my all my paint, <laughs> <laughs> completely clean, well rested. Oh Job God. done. Actually, quite enjoyed it. Di- that is very Dean Jones. Um, <laughs> my one experience of paintballing, I got shot in the neck and couldn't talk for a few hours afterwards. So I'm never going back or have never been yeah. back. Yeah. 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 I can see that. Yeah. Paintballing, too violent. Go-karting, great fun. Especially we did it on a rooftop in Spain this Ooh. time out. That was lovely. Very, We don't very actually nice. do activities anymore. Any of them, like my main, main group of friends, like, so the stag I went on the weekend, there was not a single, not even an idea of an activity. We well, didn't dress anyone activity. up. We didn't even dress him up. 
We didn't do. We didn't bother. We did nothing. It was literally a weekend away. I was like, "Oh, <laughs> should we dress him up?" I was like, "No, <laughs> no, it's fine. It's no. fine. This, well, should we do, this should is we do anything?" When you've all you've all got kids, anything. haven't you? So you're all you all just want to go away. It was it was yeah, that is true. Like you've all it's got kids. Just... All you want to do is sit together in a bar and just get drunk and have a laugh. Like that's literally all we wanted to do. So that's what we did. It was uh, like. Yeah, that's just the thing. Like getting old is fun. You do what you actually yeah. want to do. Where do, where do we stand on mini golf as an activity? Because I think yeah. that's 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 a light enough touch to be amusing. Yeah, Fantastic. Yeah, I'd be well up, well. well up for mini golf. So yeah, that goes into the uh, correct correct activities pile. Um, <laughs> yeah, going to a going to a football match was lots of fun with loads of us. We went to Sunderland versus Watford. That was great. Um, but yeah, just generally, I think that's that's my learnings from my three yeah, stack views, and I hope to apply them in the future. Um, right, with that, I think it's probably time for us to call it a day. So all that's left for me to do is say thank you once again to Liam Toomey for joining us in that middle section. Thank you so much to the rank god, Mr. Sam Tai. Cheers, buddy. Thank you so much to our transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. Cheers, mate. I've been Jack Collins, Knave of Hearts. This has been Ranks FC. Thank you so much for tuning in as ever. We really do appreciate it. And if you know anyone who might fancy having a listen to this podcast, we'd love it if you passed it onwards. Take it easy, gang. Peace. The new Chevy Silverado HD puts you in command. Own strength with its enhanced available Duramax 6.6 liter turbo diesel V8. Own the lake with its available advanced towing technology and own technology with an available 13.4 inch diagonal touchscreen. The new Chevy Silverado HD. Own work, own play, own life. Learn more at Chevy.com. Find new roads. Chevrolet. Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business is commerce platform, keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. (coughs) Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks.